HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio. I'm your host here on the Heritage Radio Network. And today we're being sponsored by TechServe. TechServe is New York's premier authorized Apple reseller and service provider, serving individual customers, creative professionals, and Fortune 100 companies. TechServe has built a solid reputation on its expertise in technology, sales, and service. As a company that believes in honest and forthright business practices, TechServe is proud to sponsor Heritage Radio Network in the promotion of sustainable lifestyles, and we're very happy to have them as a sponsor. Today, I wanted to let you know that we're going to talk some plant pornography. (laughs) Well, not exactly, but I needed a hook for some of you who might say, oh, what are we talking about today? Vegetables and gardening? Well, indeed we are, but like no vegetables and gardening that you know of. My guest today is Amy Goldman. Amy is a gardener, an author. She's a the chairman of the board of directors of Seed Savers Exchange. She's a sculptor, but she is an incredible, what can I say, um, food whisperer, vegetable whisperer, melon whisperer. She's actually often been referred to as a vegetable rights activist, and it's my pleasure to welcome Amy Goldman. Welcome, Amy. Lynn, it's de- delightful to be here today. And we, I was showing Amy the... Um, the garden here on top of Roberta's. Roberta's has one, I think it was one of the first rooftop gardens to supply them with all their um, their vegetables and salad needs. And, and it's really impressive what they're doing. And I'm just sorry that their gardener isn't here to talk with us today because I'm sure she would be loaded with questions because you seem to have all the right answers. Well, I felt right at home the minute I saw those wonderful container gardens. Oh, that's great. Um, Amy, uh, Amy's most recent book is The Heirloom Tomato. And her previous books are Melons for the Passionate Grower and The Complete Squash. Each of them, it, I can't say one is more beautiful than the other. They're all beautiful. They are just, I was, I was actually devouring them as I looked at them. Well, that's just what I hoped would happen. I was, my aim was to try to seduce people into uh, growing heirloom vegetables and certainly, or 
appreciating them and uh, working with Victor Schrager who was my photographer is one of the best things that ever happened to me Uh, how did you how did you first get hooked up with uh, with Victor it was uh, a high school chum of mine was married to Victor's agent and when the time came to do the melon book which was the first one uh, he suggested Victor and we hit it off immediately and realized we had the same concept for what we wanted to do. Well, I mean, for those of you who have not seen the book, I urge you to take a look at the book. They, the, the photographs are, they describe your fruit so beautifully. I mean, you go into this wonderful descriptive prose and, and about the fruit and the feel. And then along comes Victor's photograph, and it's exactly as you've described it. But, I mean, the, the colors are just just jump off the page are wonderful exactly he he painted a picture in in images and i did what i call pen portraits i I told the stories of each individual variety yeah there's a young man um a food photographer also michael harlan turkle who is um, going to be debuting a show here soon on the network called the food scene s-e-e-n as we look at it and he's done some marvelous photographs for the edible series and and some interesting um publications and i'm sure that victor would be a wonderful guest for his show but that's another topic okay um what i want to know is how i i've read a little of your background but so i know some but how did you really get into gardening like as serious as you as you are about it Well, my family was initially in the food business here in Brooklyn. Uh, Goldman's Italian American was the family Italian dry goods store on Columbia Street. (laughs) And so I grew up with the mentality or family atmosphere that celebrated food. And I had my first garden at the age of 18 on the North Shore of Long Island. And I discovered that I seemed to have a natural gift for kitchen gardening. So... And I love putting food on the table. And ever since, my hands have been in the soil. <laughs> You've had dirty hands. <laughs> oh, yeah. Certifiable. <laughs> well, I, I had actually heard about your gardens up in, in Rhinebeck in Dutchess County, New York. Um, I think well, I first saw it in, I'd heard your name about with your book out and some mention with Martha Stewart uh, having appearances on her show. And then I saw this spread in one of the shelter magazines. I think it was Metropolitan Home. Oh, yes. So, yeah, yes, beautiful yes. spread. Well, then I was sitting at lunch with a friend of mine who happened to be a guest on the show, Peter Kaminsky, who's written a, a wonderful book, Seven Fires, on Argentinian grilling. We were sitting at lunch here at Roberta's, and he was eating a tomato. It was out of season. He said, why did I even order a tomato? He said, what happened to that taste? You know, when you were a kid and you used to bite into a tomato, and and it was just, the taste was just, just, and he couldn't describe it. He said, am I just remembering this, or is that gone? And my friend Don and I both looked at him and said, mm, it's kind of gone. We can't find it. And he, so what he was describing was this luscious, almost pornographic sensation of biting into this juicy tomato and then i heard about your book the heirloom tomato and boom there it and is boom the good news is um they're not gone in fact uh there's a whole wide world of heirloom tomatoes i mean most people when they think of heirloom tomatoes they think brandy wine but there's mm. so much more to the world of heirlooms than most people realize and 
the Seed Savers Exchange, for example, that you know operates a gene bank, uh, has a collection of over six thousand different heirloom tomatoes. Uh, so they're they're in the world. There's you know of course a revival in home gardening these days. And uh, I would call it more of a movement than a. I mean, it's a real movement. It's a, a de- well, <laughs> it's definitely a movement yeah. too. And um, you know, gardeners are coming back, you know, in droves to the garden. Lots of newbies starting out, uh, and the the number of tomatoes uh, carried by commercial seed companies has increased about two hundred percent since about nineteen eighty one. So. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's marvelous. It's a marvelous time to start gardening. Well, I think I think tomatoes are the one vegetable fruit that has captured most people's attention in terms of the awareness of heirloom. But there's also squash, heirloom squash, and melons, as you've um, illustrated in your book. But when we say heirloom, what I think as an education for a lot of our listeners, what do we really mean by heirloom? Okay, there are a lot of definitions of the term heirloom. Here's mine. An heirloom is a variety of value that breeds true from seed and thus can be handed down to the next generation. Many of them are oldies but goodies. Some are of more recent vintage. Mm -hmm. But all of them are keepers worth preserving. You know, there are some people who say heirlooms are the province of foodies, but that's it's just not so. Mm. Heirlooms are the people's tomato, you know, and squash and melons right. bred by amateurs, farmers and gardeners and designed to be homegrown. And so those varieties were saved for years because of their fine qualities, their flavor, their disease resistance, their drought tolerance and so forth. And so, you know, we're the beneficiary of a cr- of an incredible heritage. Well, and some of these varieties um, were facing extinction, correct? I mean, except for a few farmers. That's correct. But so, why, but so, how, how and why? I mean, t- what what happened in the vegetable gardening industry? That, or and that's just it. What what happened? What happened? In short, uh, the advent of modern F one hybrids displaced the old sort. So, you know, when the new Let's say when the old is not preserved and the new replaces it, you're in trouble. Uh, enter the Seed Savers Exchange, which was is a is the nation's premier seed saving organization, founded in 1975. You know, with a mission to to preserve these old fashioned foods from extinction uh, and develop a network of people who are committed to collecting, conserving, and sharing heirloom seeds and plants with each other. And we estimate over the course of the last 30-plus years that about a million uh, vegetable samples have been traded between members. And so, in other words, we're promoting on-farm, in-garden conservation. Wow. That is, I mean, that that's a, that's a lot of seeds. I mean, I was thinking, because a lot of people think heirloom just means old. And, of course, as you just pointed out, it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's something of value. Now, now, heirlooms are different from hybrids. Heirlooms actually breed true from seed. Old, they're old reliables. They produce offspring like their parents. So if you save harvested seed to regrow, it will breed true. Hmm. 
Hybrids, modern F1 hybrids, are the result of a cross between two highly inbred parent lines. And in short, if you try to save seeds, they don't breed true. You get surprises sometimes. (laughs) You get surprises, and you have to go back to the company store every year to buy seed. Well, that's interesting. A little planned obsolescence there to keep us dependent on their seeds. Exactly. Uh So that old profit motive... Um, my mission in life is keeping seeds in the hands of farmers and gardeners where they belong. Oh, that's that's really interesting. That's I, I, I when I thought of heirloom meaning old and not knowing, really not knowing the actual definition, I was thinking, but, but being a culinary historian, I'm thinking, but tomatoes, a nightshade plant, and the original tomatoes that grew, we would not want to eat. They would not well, be very actually, tasty. I want to tell you that some of the more uh, primitive types, like the currants that are the smallest tomatoes of all, have the highest acid and sugar levels of any tomato. Hmm. So in other words, the smaller the tomato in general, the higher the sugar and acid, and thus the more excellent the flavor. So things like Alberto Shatters, which is one gram in weight. It's a a current tomato, amazingly tomatoey and crunchy. Um, Sarah's Galapagos, named after my daughter, red, red currant, many other sorts. Believe it or not, are, are primitive in character, but flavorful. And if you have room in your garden because they form a weedy tangle, they're well worth it. Oh, I will have to definitely, you know, because I, I try to garden, but my land is not that good. And it's, you know, I'm a weekend gardener, so I don't have the time to devote to it. But inevitably, the smaller tomatoes, the cherry tomatoes, the pear, the little teardrop pear tomatoes they are always the most flavorful they, yeah. that's right the yeah. high so flavor is correlated with high acid and high sugar and of course you know there are many other components of flavor and a lot depends on how you know if the tomato is grown all right well then i'm sure then the uh, the setting that it's in right um so I guess your involvement from 1975, you said, with Seed Savers? Or? Well, I've been involved. At, I became a member of Seed Savers in about 1990, and mm-hmm. then I became what's called a listed member. That means I offered seeds to others through the uh, annual exchange. I've been gardening since I was 18, so... Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, uh, that's a long time. I mean, yikes, almost 40 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> we don't have to tell that. Um, but you, so when you, when people say that you've been referred to as a veg, vegetable rights activist, this would account for the seed. That's because well, of the seed saving, right? Actually, this is a name I gave myself. Oh. I, you know, I, I'm definitely inordinately attached to vegetables. My eyes kind of glaze over when I look at flowers and perennials. So it's always been vegetables for me. And, you know, because of the threats of extinction and so forth, I became an advocate. Well, you mentioned that um, you, in, when you were first cultivating, I guess, your, your prize-winning melons, because you did. You won a lot of prizes for, for some of your melons, I right? I did. I was involved in the world of competitive vegetable growing for many years. At the famous Dutchess County Fair. And you mentioned that you just looked at these I mean, you got very, <laughs> you got very glazed over as you looked at some of these incredible, beautiful melons and cut them open and slurped their insides. And when did is this when you first realized that you could grow miracles, as you said? 
Well, I tell you the, and I do, I mean, to paraphrase Liberty High Bailey, you know, uh, his famous horticulturist uh, and uh, hero of mine, but yeah, I became aware I grew miracles even early in life. I mean, early in my teen years, um, my father called them, called vegetables and fruits a machaya, you know, in Yiddish, it's sort of, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Or a michael. Um, and it was always a miracle to him, and it, and for me, it became a miracle as well. Oh, it's just terrific. the beauty of growing something and seeing it fruit. And well, we're going to hear about more of these miracles when we come back. with Amy Goldman, um, a seed saver and author of many vegetable books, the most recent, The Heirloom Tomato. And I think you know, everyone who goes to farmer's markets, of course, sees you know the heirloom tomatoes. And often they cost a little more, but I think that everyone is so curious that they try them. And once you try them, as they say, once you try it, you never go back, right? That's um, right. It's just, it is so good. Um, tell me, when, when, when did you first plant an heirloom vegetable plant i mean it just didn't happen i mean it, you had to, that, you had to that's do it right with intention I, when i first started gardening uh i was growing a lot of hybrids and i didn't know the difference between a hybrid and an heirloom at that point but i would say it was when i read a book by rosalind creasy called cooking from the garden in the in the late 80s and and that's where I first learned about tomatoes like Radiator Charlie's Mortgage Lifter and okay, Howling Mob <laughs> Corn and, you know, Lazy Housewife Bean. And I, I became intrigued and I started growing them myself. And I read about Seed Savers in her book and I became a member. And I started growing these for exhibition at the Dutchess County Fair, the New York State Fair in in Syracuse, even the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society's Fall Harvest Show, hmm. and winning blue ribbons, wowing fair goers. Uh, but then I, you know, I I got more serious about it. I realized that um, you know there was a role I could play in preserving some of these wonderful varieties. And uh, as the years went on, I became more of an advocate, joined the board of seed savers, and eventually became chair of the board. Well, now, and now it's my life. Yeah. <laughs> and and we thank you for it because if it weren't for you, we would not have so many of these of these wonderful varieties that that we ourselves and our children certainly will, will never have tasted. Well, and there are twelve thousand other members of Seed Savers Exchange, people like me, backyard gardeners, orchardists, who are keeping the rarest of the rare alive. Well, I before I don't want to forget to give that website out for anyone who's interested. It's uh, seedsavers.org. Seedsavers.org. Okay. And they're located where? They're in Decorah, Iowa. 
but they have members all but over it's the a national nonprofit members all over the country and around the world as well. Hmm. Around the world as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, now saving seeds, you can't just grow a plant and decide, oh, I'm going to save this seed and it's an heirloom. Be- and tell us a little bit about how you save a seed. All right. Well, let's say we're talking about tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the casual way to do it, and there's the and there's a not so casual <laughs> way. I, I mean. Most people, you know, me included, I mean, everywhere I go, I'm on the alert and I collect seeds. I'm even taking them off of dinner plates and restaurants and filching one or two from a garden here or there. And then I put them in a, you know, a napkin or a paper towel and dry them and then take them home and grow them. That's pretty casual and it works in many cases. But if you want to maintain maximum seed purity and prevent honeybees and sweat bees from bringing in pollen from other plants that could could result in cross-pollination, right. uh, then one easy way to do that is to, to isolate by dis- distance. In other words, grow that tomato variety isolated by, you know, 50 to 100 feet from another variety with which it could cross. But this is all in my book, Everything You Need to Know to Grow Your Own, Recipes to Make the Most of Your Harvest, and Instructions on How to Become a Seed Saver. Oh, good. Okay. And, um, and, and for by the way, tomatoes, the, recipe, and the recipes in the tomato book are absolutely fantastic. Thank you. But saving seeds of tomato and bean, are, which are mostly self-pollinating, are pretty mm-hmm. easy. And then it goes from there. And well, I have to say that when <laughs> when I jokingly call the the show a, a show about uh, vegetable or uh, plant pornography, you gave a description of hand pollinating squash, and there are pictures in there of of you doing it too. And it was such a sensitive, personal activity. Now, why would you so talk? Why well, would you I, hand pollinate? Okay, uh, we're talking about crops like squash or pumpkins Mm -hmm. uh, where there's a male and a female flower. On each plant, right? Exactly. So for tomato, it's a perfect flower with male and female parts in one place. So to maintain seed purity, I mean, this is only if you want to maintain pure seed. If you just want to grow you know, for the enjoyment and the eating, go ahead. Well, let's let's. Uh, but okay, so let's you, talk about it. Maybe you, there's some listeners out there who really want to preserve okay. an heirloom variety. All right, here's what you do. And for me, there's nothing in the world I'd rather be doing on a on a sunny day in early July than getting down on my hands and knees and transferring pollen from the male flower to the female flower and you you know you it's all in my in my squash book the complete squash but the night before you tape up the male flowers and the female flowers with masking tape the ones you think are going to open the next separate morning separate them sleep in separate beds guys <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you can tell they're going to open the next morning because they change color. It's huh. a, with a practiced eye, easy to do. You come back the next morning at about seven before, and you you know before the bees are active, you pluck the male blossoms, usually two for every one female. And of course, it's the female flower that has the uh, unfertilized ovary at the base of the flower that becomes the fruit. So you're going to bring the male flower over to the female. And when you open the tape on that female blossom and you smell that fragrance, it's such a heady aroma that 
to me, there's nothing in the world. Shalimar, Chanel Number no. Five, forget <laughs> it. This, you know, squash blossoms have them beat, and and then you just like a paintbrush, take the male blossom and rub it on the stigma of the female. Close the blossom up, t- retape it so the bees don't bring in foreign pollen that might contaminate it. I mark the base of the flower with a with a ribbon, surveyor's tape, and I know that if that starts to grow within a few days, that I will save that 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 for pure seed later save in the season. Save that one fruit, so you save know that, that one, one fruit. fruit. Yeah. I know that seed is pure. Mm-hmm. That harvested seed will produce offspring like the parents, and so you know it's it's just joy. It's a joy for me, and um, interesting and. Uh, but otherwise, like you said, the, the t- I told you this was an X-rated show. But <laughs> this is <laughs> I was plant mesmerized. parenthood. Plant parenthood. That was great. <laughs> I love it. Um, but otherwise, like the tomato plant, you say, which the flower has both parts, male and female, in it. So the, that way you must separate it. Or, well, what the, if you cover the, it? With the tomato, they're mostly self-pollinating, mm-hmm. but there's some degree of crossing by insects. So if you want to be really sure that you've got pure seed... You isolate them a hundred feet from the other variety with which they might cross, uh, or you can even use small bags and bag the blossoms before they open. They're little muslin bags, you know, yeah. that you can get from seed suppliers, uh, and that's an easy way to just put a mechanical barrier between, between the bees, and the, and, between the flowers, the bees huh? and the flowers, and you know to save that seed later. Oh, interesting. Well, that's labor-intensive, but what a labor of love. Um, it just just really... Well, you, the beginning incredible. seed saver can start really easily by growing one variety of each type in the garden, so there'll be no crossing. You can grow your favorite tomato, your pepper, your your pumpkin, your melon, and so forth. Just one of each, and you'll know that those will be pure. Uh, now, peppers. I can grow peppers in my land. It just, it's dry, it's rocky, and... And the peppers love it there, so maybe I'll try, you know, try saving some of those seeds this year with my peppers. Yeah, why not? Make yeah. sure that they're, you know, open pollinated standard varieties, and they're not F one hybrids. Okay. So the uh, yeah, I mean, you figure they they bred these things for shelf life in the in and to be trucked across the country and stock the supermarkets. So those hybrid varieties, no wonder they taste like styrofoam half the time, right? I mean, they've just I bred know. all the all the juiciness out of them. Well, because they are such perishable. Well, my Products. my years of experience as a vegetable gardener have taught me that vegetables ripened on the vine in full sun, That's right. heirlooms That's are right. the most delicious of all. Yeah. And they may, so, not, they may not travel well, but boy, they taste good. Well, when peppers I'm travel. Sorry. Yeah, they, you know, peppers uh, are very easy to grow, and even for city dwellers in containers. Huh. They're wonderful and ornamental as well. That, that's true. They yeah. definitely are. What um, you actually um, talking about breeding for for different purposes? Um, something that I had known about. I'm, I don't. I'm sure other people had read about it. But you did tell the story about how the Japanese have really learned to breed things for convenience and and practical purposes. And that was the melons that they grow in in shapes for the refrigerator right right there's you know uh a big lucrative market for melons and watermelons in japan where in in fact japan uh they're doing some marvelous breeding uh with all sorts of crops so um some of my favorite melons are japanese 
mm. old-fashioned Kahneman types. They're crispier and not as sweet as American sorts. More uh, like on the order of a cucumber type of, of uh, one, or Yeah, something like that. Huh. Slightly sweeter. But they would grow the, the baby plants, they'd put a, like a box around them or something and make them square? To grow, to grow oh. a watermelon into a mold, yeah. And those fetch very high prices. $80 a melon, I heard. One well, point. I'm not sure what the going yeah. rate is now. But, but they stack well. <laughs> they can fit in the, you know, you can fit a couple of them in the refrigerator. Well, if you want a personal size watermelon, there are lots of really nice uh, heirloom types, like Golden Midget, for example, which uh, to me it sort of reminds me of a ripe papaya because it's inside it's salmon pink, and on the outside it's bright yellow with pencil striping. And they're very small, and it's a personal size watermelon, hmm. and lots of others like that. Hmm. That can what was the name gr- of that one? Uh, Golden midget. Golden midget. It's, yeah. So that, uh, yeah. lovely. There are uh, melons that would do well in Brooklyn as well. Well, this active gardening spawned another career for you as well, and you became a sculptor. Now, were you always in? Were you, did you always um, in, were involved in art and and producing art? In terms, other than the garden, not at all. I I developed something called rare forms, uh, and uh, it's a line of limited edition bronze sculptures of some of my vegetables. And really, nature is the artist here. I I um, when I grow something in my garden uh, that has a beautiful shape and form, and I want you know I want to preserve it for posterity. Then I take it to the local foundry uh, in the Hudson Valley where they make a mold. Uh, and using the ancient lost wax process, we create bronze sculptures that are true to life. They are absolutely and they are uh, just stunning. And then, you know, I supervise it every step of the way, and uh, especially the patina, which is the finishing touch. Uh, I started doing this just for myself because I wanted these things to last forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, it's part of my shtick, you know, preserving in words, photographs, bronzes, uh, and seeds, of course, uh, our vanishing vegetable heritage. Well, they, you can see these uh, bronzes, and I think you can actually maybe even be able to purchase them in your online gallery. It's rareforms.com? That's right. Rareforms.com. Well, Amy, it, it's been an eye-opener for me in terms of, of gardening, and I learned a lot just in this short half hour that we've spent together. And I just want to uh, remind people that your website is rareforms.com. And your books are Melons for the Passionate Grower, The Complete Squash, and the newest one, The Heirloom Tomato. All beautiful, beautiful books. Very instructive books. And uh, is the tomato book the only one with recipes? No, they, oh, all, have recipes. they all have recipes. The tomato book has, I think, probably the most, because I, I really Well, read let's face them. it. There's a, not a lot you can do with melons and cookery. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, tomatoes, tomatoes are... are the recipes are great. And yeah, Victor you. Schrager, your photographer, just did a, a superb job. Amy Goldman, the author, the gardener, the director of the board of Seed Savers Exchange, and a pleasure to have you as my guest. Thank you Thank so much. You so You've much. been listening to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio here on Heritage Radio Network.
For appearing on A Taste of the Past, guest Amy Goldman has received a free 365-day gift card from Zagat. Use this complimentary 365zagat.com gift card to enjoy trusted Zagat ratings and reviews derived from the opinions of 375,000 surveyors around the globe, all conveniently located in one place. Make your voice heard. Vote in Zagat's New York City Restaurant Survey now through May 16th. More information at www.zagat.com. Thanks for listening.